Chapter Fifty Two of The Wanderer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer by Fanny Burney. Chapter Fifty Two. From the heightened disgust which she now conceived against her new patroness, Juliet severely represented the step that she had taken and if her entrance into the family contributed so little to her contentment her subsequent introduction into her office was still less calculated to exhilarate her spirits her baggage was scarcely deposited in a handsome chamber of which the hangings and decorations as of every part of the mansion were sumptuous for the spectator but in which there was a dearth of almost everything that constitutes comfort to the immediate dweller ere she was summoned back by a hasty order to the drawing-room mrs ireton who was reading a newspaper did not for some time raise her head through a glance of her eye procured her the satisfaction of seeing that the, her call had been obeyed juliet at first stood modestly waiting for commands but receiving none sat down though at a humble distance determined to abide by the consequences be they what they might of considering herself as at least above a common domestic this action shortened the term of neglect mrs ireton letting the newspaper fall exclaimed in a tone of affected alarm are you ill ma'am are you disordered i hope you are not subjected to fits juliet coldly answered no i am very glad to hear it indeed very happy upon my word i was afraid you were going to faint away but i find that you are only delicate only fatigued by descending the stairs i ought indeed to have sent somebody to help you somebody you could have lent upon as you came along i was very stupid not to think of that i hope you'll pardon me juliet looked down but kept her place mrs ireton a little nettled was silent a few minutes and then said pray if i may ask if it will not be too great a liberty to ask what have been your pursuits since i had the honour of accompanying you to london how have you passed your time i hope you have found something to amuse you juliet sighed a negative you have been studying the fine arts i am told painting drawing sculpture or what is it something of that sort i am informed pray what is it mrs thingamy i am always forgetting your name yet you have certainly a name but i don't know how it is i can never remember it i believe i must beg you to write it down juliet again only sighed perhaps i am making a mistake as to your occupations very likely i may be quite in the wrong indeed i think i recollect now what is it you have been doing acting that's it is it not pray what stage did you come out upon first did you begin wearing your itinerant buskins in england or abroad where i begin madam i have ended at mrs maple's and pray have you kept that same face ever since i saw you in grosvenor square or have you put it on again only now to come back to me 
I rather suppose you have made it last the whole time. It would be very expensive, I apprehend, to change it frequently. It can by no means be so costly to keep it only in repair. How do you put on your colors? I have heard of somebody who had learnt the art of enameling their own skin. Is that your method? Waiting vainly for an answer, she went on. Pray, if I may presume so far, how old are you? But I beg pardon for so indiscreet a question. I did not reflect upon what I was saying. Very possibly your age may be indefinable. You may be a person of another century, a wandering Jewess. I never heard that the old Jew had a wife or a mother who partook of his longevity, but very likely I may now have the pleasure of seeing one of his family under my own roof. That red and white that you lay on so happily may just as well hide the wrinkles of two or three grand climacterics, as if only a poor single sixty or seventy years of age. However, these are secrets that I don't presume to inquire into. Every trade has its mystery. These splenetic witticisms producing no reply, Mrs. Ireton more categorically demanded, Pray, ma'am, pray, Mrs. What's-your-name, will you give me leave to ask what brings you to my house? Miss Jodrell, madam, informed me that you desired my attendance. Yes, but with what view? Disconcerted by this interrogatory, Juliet stammered, but could not devise no answer. To what end, what purpose, what intent, I say, may I owe your honor of your presence? The office pointed out by Eleanor, of an humble companion, now dyed the cheeks of Juliet with shame, but resentment of the palpable, desire to hear its mortifying acknowledgment, tied her tongue, and though each of the following interrogatories was succeeded by a pause that demanded a reply, she could not bring herself to utter a word. You are hardly come, I should imagine, without some motive I may be mistaken, to be sure, but I should hardly imagine you would take the trouble to present yourself merely to afford me the pleasure of seeing you, not but that I ought to be extremely flattered by such a compliment. "'Twould be vastly amiable, certainly, a lady of your indescribable consequence. "'Twould be difficult to me to shew an adequate sense of so high an honor. "'I am distressed at the very thought of it. "'But perhaps you may have some other design. "'You may have the generosity to attend me some improvement. "'You may come to favor me with some lessons of declamation. "'Who knows? "'But you may purpose to make an actress of me.' or perhaps to instruct me how to become an adept in your own favorite art of face-daubing. At least, thought Juliet, I need not give you any lessons of the art of ingenuously tormenting. There you are perfect. What? No answer yet? Am I always so unfortunate as to hit upon improper subjects, to ask questions that merit no reply? I am quite confounded at my want of judgment. Excuse it, I entreat, and aid me out of this unprofitable labyrinth of conjecture by telling me, at once, to what happy inspiration I am indebted for the pleasure of receiving you in my house. Juliet pleaded again in the direction of Miss Jodrell. Miss Jodrell, I told you to come, then only to come. 
only to shoe yourself? Well, you are worth looking at, I acknowledge. To those who have seen you formerly, the transformation must always be curious. I only hope you intend to renew it from time to time, to keep admiration alive. That pretty face you exhibit at present may lose its charms, if it should become familiar. When shall you put on the other again, that I had the pleasure to see you in first? Fatigued and spiritless, Juliet would have retired, but Mrs. Ireton called after her. Oh, you are going, are you? Pray, may I take the liberty to ask whither? Again, Juliet was silent. You mean perhaps to repose yourself, or maybe to pursue your studies? Or perhaps you may have some visits upon your hands, and you may only have done me the favor to enter my house to find time to follow your humor. You may think it sufficient honor for me that I may be at the expense of your board and find you in lodging and furniture and fire and candles and servants. You may hold this ample recompense for such an insignificant person as I am. I ought to be much obliged to Miss Jodrell upon my word for bringing me into such distinction i had understood her indeed that you would come to me as my humble companion juliet cruelly shocked and turned away her head and i was stupid enough to suppose that that meant a person who could be of some use and some agreeability a person who could read to me when i was tired and who when i had nobody else could talk to me and find out a thousand little things for me all day long, coming and going, pratting or holding her tongue, doing everything she was bid, and keeping always at hand. Juliet, coloring at this true, however insulting description of what she had undertaken, secretly revolved in her mind how to renounce at once an office which seemed to invite mortification and licensed sarcasm. But I perceive I was mistaken. I perceive I knew nothing of the matter. It only means a fine lady, a lady that's so delicate it fatigues her to walk downstairs, a lady who is so independent that she retires to her room at pleasure, a lady who disdains to speak, but when she is disposed for her own satisfaction, to talk, a lady. A lady who, indeed, madame, said the tired Juliet, weighed too little what she attempted when she hoped to find means of obtaining your favor, but who now sees her error and retreats at once your pardon and dismission. She then curtsied respectfully, but though called back even with vehemence, steadily left the room. Not, however, with triumph did she return on her own. The justice of the sensibility which urged her retreat could not obviate its imprudence or avert its consequences. She was woolly without friends, without money, without protection, without succor, and the horror of a licentious pursuit, and the mischiefs, menaced by calumniating ill-wishers, still made a lonely residence as unsafe as when her first terror drove her to acquiesce in the proposition of Eleanor. Yet, though she could not exult, she could not repent. How desire, how even support a situation so sordid, a situation not only distressing, but oppressive, not merely cruel, but degrading. She was preparing, therefore, for immediate departure, when she was sopped by a footman, who informed her that Mrs. Ireton demanded to see her without delay. The expectation of reproach made her hesitate whether to obey this order, 
but a desire not to have the air of meriting it, by the defiance of a refusal, led her again to the dressing-room. Here, however, to her great surprise, instead of the haughty or taunting upbraidings for which she was prepared, she was received with a gracious inclination of the head, while the footman was told to give her a chair. Mrs. Ireton, then, fixing her eyes upon a pamphlet, which she held in her hand, that she might avoid taking any notice of the stiff and decided air with which Juliet stood still, though amazed, and said, My bookseller has just sent me something to look at, which may serve for a beginning of our readings. Juliet now saw that, however imperiously she had been treated, Mrs. Ireton had no intention to part with her. She saw, too, that that lady was amongst the many, though terrible characters who think superior rank or fortune authorizes perverseness and legitimizes arrogance, who hold the display of ill-humor to be the display and mark of power, and who set no other boundary to their pleasure in the art of tormenting than that which, if passed, might endanger their losing its object. She wished, more than ever, to avoid all connection with a nature so willfully tyrannic, but Mrs. Ireton, who read in her dignified demeanor that a spirit was awakened which threatened the escape of her prey, determined to shun any discussion. Suddenly, therefore rising and violently ringing the bell, she exclaimed, I dare say those fools have not placed half the things you want in your chamber, but I shall make Whiteley see immediately that all is arranged as it ought to be. She then gave some parading directions that Miss Ellis should want for nothing, and affecting not to perceive the palpable design of Juliet to decline these tardy attentions, graciously nodded her head and passed into another room. Juliet, not absolutely softened, yet somewhat appeased, again hesitated. A road seemed opened by some exertion of spirit for obtaining better treatment, and however ungenial to her feelings was a character whose humor submitted to no restraint, save to ensure their own lengthened indulgence. Still, in appearing more contemptible, it became less tremendous. She began, also, to see her office as less debasing. Why, she cried, should I exaggerate my torments, by blindly giving into received opinions, without examining whether here, as in all things else, there may not be exceptions to general rules? A psychophant must always be despicable. A parasite must externally deserve scorn. But may there not be a possibility of uniting the affluent with the necessitous upon more equitable terms? May not some medium be hit upon between oppression on one side and servility on the other? If we are not worthless because indigent, why conclude ourselves abject because dependent? Happiness, indeed, dwells not with the undue subordination but the exertion of talents in our own service can never in itself be vile. It can only become so where it is mingled and contaminated with flattery, with unfitting obsequiousness and unworthy submissions, they who simply repay being sustained and protected by a desire to please, a readiness to serve, a wish to instruct without falsehood in their counsels, without adulation in their civilities, without meaningness in their manners and conduct, have at least as just a claim to respect and consideration 
for their services and their labors, as those who merely through pecuniary retribution reap their fruits. This idea better reconciled her with her condition, and she blessed her happy acquaintance with Mr. Giles Arb, which had strengthened her naturally philosophical turn of mind by leading her to this simple yet useful style of reasoning. The rest of the day was propitious to her new views. The storms with which it had become subsided, and a calm ensued, in which Mrs. Ireton set apart her cruelest irascibility and forbore her contemptuous interrogatories. The servants were ordered not to neglect Miss Ellis, and Miss Ellis received permission to carry to her own apartment any books from off the piano, forte, or tables that might contribute to her amusement. Juliet was not of a character to take advantage of a moment of concession, even in an enemy. The high and grave deportment, therefore, which had thus happily raised alarm, had no sooner answered its purpose than she suffered it to give place to an air of gentleness, more congenial to her native feelings, and the next morning subduing her resentment, and submitting with the best grace in her power to the business of her office, she cheerfully proposed reading, compiled with the first request that was made her to play upon the piano forte, and the harp, and even to sing, though not so promptly, for her voice and sensibility were less ductile than her manners, but she determined to leave nothing untried that could prove that it was not more easy to stimulate her pride by indignity than to animate her desire to oblige by mild usage. This result on her part, which the fear of losing her, on that of Mrs. Ireton, gave time to operate, brought into play by so many brilliant accomplishments, and opened to her patroness, which sources of amusement, that while Juliet began to hope she had found a situation which she might sustain till her suspenses should be over, Mrs. Ireton conceived that she had met with a treasure which might rescue her unoccupied hours from weariness and spleen. End of chapter 52